what if your desires are harmful to you? What if what you desire is actually unachievable? Desires have this kind of negative thing that they might ultimately become an obstacle. The running has become a, a value add to their life beyond just how they perform at a park run or at a West Island race. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. We are back again. We have some new things to talk about and maybe some older topics that we'll revisit as things have moved on. Situations have changed and we are different people than we were back in early 2020. This last quarter of the year has been a really busy time for both of us. It's been challenging on all fronts. Work for me has been really busy. We finally had our XP4 event in October which was delayed from February or March. A huge thanks to everyone who came along. It was a really memorable experience and it felt so good to hang out with like-minded people again doing some of the things that we love. We've had a lot of athletes racing, albeit the schedule hasn't quite been what it was in years past. We launched a few new products to make coaching accessible to more people and I'm totally stoked to have some fantastic new coaches on board to give us the depth that we need going into 2022. If anyone's struggling for the perfect gift for your running partner, we have a few Explore coaching packages left. You can find some details on the website if you're interested. Athletes seem to be getting excited again with race lotteries and ballots going live and places being allocated, which is great to see. We have some news about an exposure event coming soon too, which should be a lot of fun as well as having a positive impact on the community. So we thought we could kick things off with a conversation about desires as we start to look ahead to the new season of racing and adventures. James thinks desire is necessary in order to be motivated enough to take action. And I sit somewhere on the other side arguing that desire can be more of an obstacle to success. So here's the next episode of the Pylon Ultra Pod. Hi James, how you doing? I'm good mate, how are you? I'm okay thanks, yes, all uh, cold and snowy here in Sham, what about the weather there? Um, you know, I, I, I say M um, because I'm looking out the window and it's dark, but the Christmas lights are out in the garden uh, and it was meant to be a storm coming in today with heavy snow and basically we got sleet, so um, it's cold, miserable, damp and wet, just what you expect in Scotland in the winter really. But your Christmas tree is up. I believe you're an early Christmas tree putter-upper. Well, Louise was a wee bit later this year because right. we had to buy a gate because we got a pup earlier in oh, the year. Course. And yeah. yeah, so the bold nugget has... Um, we've had to nugget-proof the tree. So, But it is up, um, but there's no presence under it for fear of him getting in amongst it. <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, so it's been a bit... Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded a podcast that wasn't about a particular event or something. We obviously did a couple uh, back when I was doing the end-to-end trail and then one after. So it's good to get back into the flow of things and maybe have a chat through some of the stuff that uh, we feel is important at the moment, being coaches and being athletes. And obviously, it's been a lot's happened in the past quarter, especially for you, James, I think. Um, How have things been for you in the last three to six months and what have you been most excited about? Oh, I mean, three to six months, it feels like a lifetime ago. When you were doing your end-to-end trail, when, when was that? That was in August? August, it? yeah, August, yeah. finished in September, yeah. 
Yeah, and so I think that was the last time I seen you, wasn't it? In terms of seeing you when we, yeah. we ran along the canal, that was the day where when I, when I came to meet you, then Louise messaged to say she basically had a positive lateral flow, so she had to nick away to get a PCR yeah. test. So I spent most of that run trying to run two meters behind you, <laughs> um, and luckily I didn't have COVID, but Louise had. So that that kind of felt weird, but she was absolutely fine. It was just weird she had to be locked in a room for ten days, and that didn't that wasn't good for either of us. And then in the same time, through that period, many people who listen to this know I work for a, a, a big media organisation, Sky, um, and launched a big project, um, big product, new product called Sky Glass that was just keeping me really busy from a work context point of view. Yeah. And then at the same time, what many people won't know, I was actually in the middle of transitioning to a new role within the organisation. So I now have a role which is... It's quite grandiose in terms of the title. I kind of say it here. It's Head of People Development and it's got remit to look at our people development and our learning strategy across the whole of Europe. Not for every single person in Europe, just those who are employed by Sky, obviously, because that would be a wee bit big. Europe's next, James. Europe's next, then (laughs) the world and then the galaxy, yeah. But what's interesting there is, is I'm now having to work with different people in different territories and having to work with people across multiple different cultures that is a massive learning curve for me. And I think it's really analogous to some of the stuff we might talk about today, where I'm now having to learn to speak to people who are from Italy and, and, and Germany and other parts of the, 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 the continent on a day-to-day basis. And little things that we might take for granted in terms of our language and our idioms and our analogies and our metaphors and the way we talk just don't translate either yeah. in the written word or in the spoken word. So I'm really, really having to work hard to think about effective positioning um, whilst also building a team who are um, and at this moment in time sighted across five different countries yeah. and they've got a big job to do in the next three to five years in terms of what we want to achieve but that's so that's kept me busy over the last few months so part of the reason why we've not had the chance to record some podcasts but that's starting to settle down now and we can get back to having good chats yeah you've had a bit more travel to deal with and stuff haven't you you've had to be down in london a good few times but it's always it's always interesting for me, um, obviously looking after your training and stuff like that. It's, it, it can be a good opportunity if you position that way, like like you do. Uh, I know you've been up at the crack of dawn in London to get a marathon done before work and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, always interested to hear. I think it's useful information for people who maybe, you know, struggle with time sometimes. That there's creative ways to get around that. Well, you know, it's really interesting you mention that as well because when I um, I joined this new team, so they didn't really know me. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know the things I did. And I think a couple of weeks ago, I um, I was down I'm down on the Wednesday night, coming back home on the Friday night. So I'm like, right, I'm going to do my long run while I'm away because it means, therefore, I'm not eating any family time on a Saturday. And I think this is something people who are listening to can maybe take on board and decide how they want to use this kind of approach. So I see it as, well, <clears throat> if I'm going to be away staying in a hotel, I might as well as get up early, go to bed early and get up early and get my long run done and front load my week with any distance or any time away. So as you say, like, I think on the Thursday morning before we had a two-day off-site, I just went up, hit the Thames path, 13 miles out, 13 miles back, marathon done. And then that meant I didn't have a long run to do on the, the Saturday, which was actually quite good because I had some travel disruption on the way home because I think Storm Arwen was hitting um, mm-hmm. that week. But even when I'm away, I, you, you know, I'll say to you, actually make that the double day because I would rather do a double day when I'm away from home and... You can make it work, but it takes it just takes focus, dedication, and planning. And 
I often see people who might go, oh, I didn't get my run done tonight because I ended up on a team night out with work or something gets in the way and it's like, you know what? You've just got to, you've got to ring fence the time and it's got to be sacrosanct for that. And you know as well as I do, when it comes to me, that's like, that's priority. It's kind of, you know, that's up there in my top three priorities to make sure I get my training done. And particularly because the last time we spoke, I think I was, I was just coming out the other side of some injuries and now I'm starting to get consistency back again and I, I don't want to lose that for the sake of a bit of work travel or not being willing to get out of my bed at four in the morning to get a run done. Yeah, I think these things can actually keep your training pretty fresh. You know, when you're... Defo. We, we just get stuck in this, well, I do my long run on a Saturday or I do it on a Sunday and that's what I always do and if I miss it, it's a disaster because occasionally somebody has, has come to me and said, listen, I can't do it a Saturday and then I've got something on on a Sunday. But I could take a day off on the Monday, would that work? And I'm like, of course it would work. You know, it's only you're only delaying your long run by one day. Um and it can just make things a little bit different and just a change of time and a change of scenery can help to keep things pretty fresh. Because I, I get the feeling from you, you you've kind of enjoyed some of those longer runs in London yeah. because you're you're running somewhere different, you're doing it at an unusual time and uh, you're actually freeing up some time at the weekend that you don't normally have free as well. So it kind of works out well. I was in a park um, called Sion Park. There's, there's a hotel in there called, it's the Hilton Hotel. I, I say called Hilton as if people wouldn't have heard of it. <laughs> have but you heard the, of the Hilton? <laughs> the, yeah. Um, so the, I, I've, I was out doing, there's a four mile loop you can do and I think I had 24 miles in the plan. So I did six loops of this. But the first one I did, Paul, you're running through a park. It's a beautiful park, but it's obviously pitch black. I'm running through this park and this thing just came across me. <clears throat> it was a badger. I thought it was an American and, uh, werewolf in London. Uh, well, could it, well, you know what? The way I reacted, maybe the squeal I gave, maybe it sounded <laughs> like it was a werewolf, but you know that way, it was just like this badger came out and then I turned the corner and there was two foxes sitting and then I went up round the next corner and there was two guys sitting drunk at the bus stop and I thought to myself, there you go, badgers, foxes, guys sitting drunk. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't see that running out, out from Croy. Um, so yeah, you're right, the freshness and the, the novelty can actually yeah. really help you get engaged with stuff. So always, and I guess the big message for me is, is what I try to do there is, is I try to use maybe disruption when it comes to work or schedule or routine, use that to my advantage to try and do something a bit different, like six, four mile loops around the park or an out and back on the Thames path or whatever it might be. It just, it just breaks up. And as you say, I think it helps keep you engaged. Yeah. I, I, I think people could do more of that. And I wondered just there as you were talking, if people feel when they have a coach, like like it's disrupting to the coach and they should always stick to the same kind of structure and they maybe don't say anything when when the opportunity's there, if you have a discussion, obviously. I think you may be right. Um, and I think you sometimes see that when people send through their availability and they'll maybe go, oh, I've only got two hours on Saturday, sorry. Just back to your point. Yeah. And it's like, actually... Once we're clear on what time's available, we can then look at how we maximise the use of that. But yeah. you're right, the, the best athletes for me are the ones who are most creative and most disruptive and most curious. The ones who go, I've got this thing happening, so I need to think about how I can make that happen. They might be curious about what would your approach to be to this. And also by disruptive, I mean the ones who are not a, a, a kind of staid Monday to Sunday routine. Ones who you have to move about because of travel. Like um, I coach a couple of people that are in the police. I know you do as well. And actually, sometimes it can be really, for me as a coach, it can be really stretching to start to think about, I can't just think about what you're doing over a seven-day stretch. We need to think about it over a longer term. We need to think about, I can't put a massive speed session in if you've done back-to-back-to-back night shifts and then going straight in a day shift. And I, I think that helps you as a coach, but also I think it helps give them novelty as well. And I, for anybody who, certainly I coach, and I'm sure you're the same as listening to this, 
And there's real value in thinking about how you can be curious, disrupt your own routines and be creative about what you do when. Yeah, and there's not a feeling like it sometimes if you get your long run done on a Thursday or a Friday oh. because it's just, yeah, even if it's once every six or eight weeks, you know, it's really, it's quite a nice feeling. Oh, the, 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 it's the payoff on the Saturday morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you look at your plan and you realise you've got intervals on a Sunday and you think, damn it, <laughs> but that's yeah. okay. That's, that's okay. It's just to reground you, James, to do that intentionally. Exactly. Yeah, I'm saying, damn it, like, I'm like, yes, intervals tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I know. Like, I totally love it. Uh-huh. Right, anyway, shall we get on to the main purpose of our discussion today? Really, I think we probably talked about some of this when we've been in the middle of lockdowns and a whole host of uncertainty that was 2020 and a lot of 2021, but I think that was then and things a bit have changed for all of us. Now, I know it's looking more and more likely that we'll probably end up back in some kind of travel restrictions anyway and some forms of social distancing potentially, with this new variant and stuff but I think we're all in a very different position to where we were last year and I think many of us have probably developed a new relationship with our running or our sport if you do some other sport which was once about maybe picking a race that we were either intrigued by or challenged by setting out to prepare for it having or not having the performance we desired and then moving on in a slightly different trajectory from there we all kind of went through that those similar cycles I think um, I know I've certainly changed anyway. So maybe as a starting point with this, James, it feels to me like the word desire is worthy of some reflection, right? So desire can obviously take many forms and it can range from, I would I would kind of like to do that to an obsessive, driven, craving, I must have that, I must get there, or I need this in my life and nothing else matters, right? And also at the root of a number of other emotions that would probably not really hold our hand up to being proud of things like, I don't know, greed, envy, jealousy, ruthlessness, selfishness. I'm never going to be satisfied. It's never enough. Um, and they're probably all quite closely related to, to desire. Um, and if that's the case, I think we ultimately end up being controlled by desire. So before we go a wee bit deeper, maybe, how how do you think your attitude um to racing has changed over the past 18 months and I know you haven't had lots of races but something has changed in you probably yeah for me clearly I haven't had any races and in fact I haven't run an ultra since October 2019 and yeah. we're recording right now in December 2021 obviously I've run him in training I've done the five coastal path I've done the John Muir yeah. way and I've done a yeah. few other things in terms of an ultra race haven't done one since 2019 Mm-hmm. And actually, the ra- the last race I did was the Meadows Marathon in February 2020, maybe mm-hmm. maybe March, February, whatever, just before this all kind of kicked off. Mm-hmm. So I haven't raced at all through this period. And probably in a roundabout way of answering your question, when races started to come back on as we get into the kind of late summer period this year, I didn't find myself compelled just to stand on a start line for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Because... My identity as a runner, I guess, had moved on from being, I'm a guy who runs races, I wear a GB vest and, and I win the odd one and I do this and I do that. These are the kind of things you, you say the desire starts to give you these identities. Mm-hmm. And and my relationship with racing moved, probably moved from being, the reason I trained to get fit was to perform well in a race, to actually, <clears throat> races are just points in time that happen along the training cycle. And actually my running identity became more about 
what I did for myself as opposed to what I did for some sort of extrinsic showcase of, you know, mm -hmm. how I performed in a, any given event with so many factors in there. But I say that having entered the Centurion Track 100 for mm -hmm. April next year and have got eyes on a couple of warm-up races before that. Mm -hmm. And what I found was starting to happen. I think I lost a bit of edge from my training because I think racing gives you something to put that extra effort into training. It goes beyond I run because it's part of my identity to go, I run to perform because that is also part of my identity. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. I think you can get as much out of one as you do the other. And after I entered that race, I felt a whole new level of engagement with the, the more difficult aspects of training. And yeah. by that, I mean speed work, intervals, hill work, and the things that happen off with your trainers off, you know, your mobility, your stretching, your nutrition, yeah. your, your your mental game. I just felt all of that got a, a, a boost in his app. And I think you've seen it probably mm -hmm. coming through and how I was performing both in training and how yeah. my engagement with it came through. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I, I wonder if... Do you think it's the space that lockdown offered? So it gave you an ability to step away, albeit you were forced to step away because none of us were racing for that period or whatever. And and you you could have maybe raced more um, kind of recently if you really wanted to. Yeah. Um, or, or do you think it's just you are at a different level in terms of your maturity or something? I, I'm, I'm interested to know if, if it's directly because you've had that space or because it's something that you would have come to naturally um, as you mature as an athlete or you just find yourself in a in a better place where you're not driven so much by by the outcomes. I think there's an inevitability about your athlete performance that we all peak at some point and then our performance will degrade at different rates for some than others. But ultimately, you will hit a height and then eventually you will start to move back from that height and there's nothing you can do about it because age takes over. So I think naturally you, you probably do reevaluate your relationship with both running and racing, depending on the level you might race at, because you get to a point where you just stop improving. And for some people, that's why they race, because they want to get faster, they want PBs, they want to finish higher up the field. And then when they lose that sense of motivation, they can drop off from that. And I I don't think I'd got to that stage yet where I was like, well, I, I still believe I can PB at every distance right now, and I think I can perform better in the races that I'm, I'm going to run. So I still feel that there's growth ahead of me in terms of performance growth. Mm -hmm. But what this period has done is help accelerate the insight that and the mindset that will come post-COVID for both me and I guess a lot of other people when it became, why do I actually run? And I got really, really comfortable and happy with the purpose of why I ran became not about how I perform ultimately, but how I feel about myself and how I feel and engage with what I do. So you became less obsessive about every minuscule start and just I, I found myself doing it more for the sense of um, self-accomplishment self as opposed to anything else. So I do think it accelerated that. I don't think it's changed it forever because I still feel I've got performance opportunity ahead of me, but it's made me less anxious about what I post. And, and I guess I'm maybe talking from a level, Paul, you're, you're the same. Not every listener will be the same, but I'm talking from a level where I go, oh, what, what's my identity as a runner when I stop getting picked for GB or when I stop maybe finishing high up the field and there's an element of anxiety about that but actually this COVID period helped me realign that to go well, none of that actually matters they're always going to drop off and there's nothing I can do about that 
in the end. But what I can do is, is I can make sure I enjoy the identity and have the other side of it. And it really, really made, made me feel more... I can't think of the better word to describe it, but more at ease with myself as a runner as a result. Yeah, I've definitely sensed that from you, I think. I'm kind of keen to think more about the difference between goals and desires, maybe. Um, I think there's desires have this kind of negative thing that they might ultimately become an obstacle, whereas goals are... It's, it's almost like... I, I don't think you've you've been driven by desire to go and do the track 100, but you've you've made a choice that that's what you want to do. But maybe before it was more driven by desire, I want to smash this race, I want to be in the top three or, or, or hit a certain time maybe. Um, and maybe maybe there's a difference between goals and desires. Um, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I think when you look at the track 100, if you ask me to name the three things that I'm looking forward to most about that <clears throat> event is testing myself running 100 miles around a track, the company I'm going to run with, and the opportunity to run a 100-mile PVB. And I'm doing it off the top of my head, but I'd place them in that order. So mm. it's the journey I'm on, the people I'm with, and then what may be an outcome as a result. And the great thing is, is the first two won't change no matter what happens with the third one, because the people will be the people, and the track will be the track. And ultimately, the time will be the time. So I think maybe a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I would have went into that and I'd have been planning. Right now, I'd have been thinking now about what can I do to hit this time? What will it take? What will other people be doing? What's mm-hmm. my tactics? What's my racing mm-hmm. tactics? What's my pacing tactics? And actually, I'm probably going into just now going, I'm really looking forward to the experience. I think it looks a great event. I'm looking forward to being on the track with some really great athletes and some really great friends. Oh, and I might run quite fast for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've, I've been reading a bit about um, this kind of stuff and there's a book called Letting Go. I don't know if you've read it. It's not no. a, It's not a particularly easy read, James. It wasn't for me anyway. Um, I'm not suggesting people go out and, and read it, but um, there's, there's a section that he suggests that desire is an obstacle, right? And this idea that the only way I'll get what I want is by desiring it. And if I let go of this desire, then I won't get what I want, right? And instead, it kind of suggests that the definition of desire is literally, I do not have, right? And it's the distance then that we put between ourselves and what we want that actually becomes an obstacle and it consumes a lot of our energy. So I guess in simpler terms, maybe when we desire too much, we see everything else around us as negative if it's not taking us closer. Um, we almost feel like we're being denied and maybe that leads to frustration and then maybe some level of reluctance about really committing to something as well and and maybe if we were able to let go of the desires we're also able to let go of the fear of not getting it you know so you're you're not you're not at the moment probably maybe there's a tiny bit i don't know you can tell me but you're not probably not fearful about not having an amazing result and not finishing in the top five or something, you're probably not fearful of that at the moment. And that's something we would define, which is interesting because ultimately a desire is something you choose to be something you go after, you know, and I think what what you might then end up starting to get to there, Paul, as well, is, is what if your desires are harmful to you? What uh-huh. if what you desire is actually unachievable? So say I say I want to break the world record at Centurion 100, and I pin everything on that. And by not being either grounded myself by others or in reality, because I know that is unachievable, I'm quite happy to say that. But if I went in with that desire, 
and then inevitably fell short, would that result in some sort of detriment to my well-being? Would I feel unaccomplished? Would I feel down mm-hmm. on myself? Would I feel I'm being judged? And and it's quite interesting the way the way you position that because the, I guess desire can be harmful if it's not in the right context of both capability but also the environment around you. So if you, you know, I mean, I desire to be a millionaire, for example, but if I'm doing nothing about it, all I'm going to have is dissatisfaction and unfulfilled desire, you know, and it's actually mm-hmm. quite uh, quite a crap desire, to be honest with you. You know, there's much more meaningful things to want, but I guess, I guess it can be harmful if it's not in the right context. And maybe, just maybe, part of what we've seen with both ourselves and runners in the last year or so is what they desire from the running has shifted to be a bit more spiritual than mm-hmm. and, and less tactile is not the right word when you talk about I guess results orientated and extrinsic but actually it's been running's became more intrinsic for people over the last year which means those desires for some people have been really hard for them to identify because some people are what's the point but for others when they've been able to identify that the running has become a, a value add to their life beyond just how they perform at a park run or at a West Highland race yeah i mean i think we'll come on to it maybe but i think there's for me there's a distinct difference between desires and choices because desires i think a lot of our desires are driven by our conditioning right from when we were a child right through to older age more than being very very clear about what it is we really want um, we'll talk about it maybe uh, in a minute, but um, I was thinking then, um, you've obviously been like a really super focused athlete, um, as long as I've known you certainly, which has been quite a long time now, um, and you you have used desire to drive you on, right? Um, but you've also seemed to be fairly relaxed when some things haven't worked out, so is that because you've kind of nailed this stuff already, or has there been some kind of gradual process over the last few years. I'm thinking specifically about GB, 24-hour stuff, right? Either the event's not gone as you planned and you've maybe not had a result that you felt you were capable of and wanted, desired, if you like, and then maybe not even getting to be able to go and race when it's something you wanted to get out there and race again. That was your desire. Um, And I think there are quite some nice examples, and I wondered... Yeah, I wondered how how you've become this way that you f- you you come across as fairly relaxed about those when things haven't gone um, as you've desired, and I, I wonder if that's just your own personal level of maturity, or it's something that you've learned over your your kind of running career. I think I think it goes beyond running. There's, you know, that classic phrase phrase about control the controllables. I am really frustrated. The two biggest things that frustrated me about covid over the last couple of years was the world and european championships were cancelled and i do have a desire to run at championships and to try and perform because i love being with the people and i love the experience oh and by the way you get to try and run you know good distances and complete and compete in a competitive field that's part of what i guess a desire and i had those frustrations and it would be really easy to get angry because i think sometimes unfulfilled desire when you feel as if you've been disadvantaged, to use, to use the desire phrase, and these events were cancelled. I am really angry about that. That emotion is absolutely pointless and worthless in terms of my reaction to it because no one cancelled it to make me feel bad on a personal level, and nothing I can do with that negative emotion can help make the outcome any different than what it was. I can't change it. 
It's a bit like when you see people getting really angry after, say, you watch golf on TV and they get really angry after hitting a golf shot and you're thinking, that negative emotion probably is going to impact negatively on your next action. And it took me a long time, Paul, I have to admit, I used to be quite impulsive when it came to that stuff. I used to be quite emotional. I used to get quite um, worked up about things that I had no control over. And it took a lot of self-discipline, a bit of coaching from other individuals stepping outside myself and actually thinking for a minute is, is actually what can I do when something goes negatively whether it's within my control or out with my control what's the next action I can take to make that positive and what that meant was was I'll always have high ambition right whether it be in a professional capacity a work, um, a work capacity or in a, a athlete capacity I'll always have high ambition and don't mistake the fact that I don't get if I don't achieve what I want to in an event as being some sort of weakness, actually how I react means that in that moment, I see that as being the first step towards achieving the next time I have a go at something. Because it's inevitable if you've got high ambition and high standards and high desires that you'll fall short of them from time to time because you're pushing to new limits. But what you should never do, in my opinion, is get really hard and negative on yourself as a result. But that doesn't mean I was always like that. I was really, really tough on myself at times and I was really, really um, hard. But life events and that maturity you talked about, things like when Louise had cancer a few years ago mm. or when I've maybe failed to get a job because actually I was too cocky and too arrogant or when I didn't run well at an event because I didn't prepare as well in the week leading up to it because I thought, oh, you know what, it's, it's only a 40 miler. These things have all come back to learn me and I do have regret about the things that I could have controlled and done better but I don't have anger because I've, I've then looked at them and went, well, that's a good learning event for you and take the positives and use that to make the next attempt better. So it's not always been the case, but you're absolutely right. I tend not to get too angry about things because kind of learnt life's too short for it. And the more positivity you bring into both your life and your approach, the, the, li the more likely you have of meeting those desires and successes you're after. Yeah. Yeah, just listening to you there, um, I, I think it's... I think automatically then people might go to the point where something has happened, right? So they've had that disappointment and think, I, I need to control, better control my reaction to um, that outcome or undesired outcome. And actually, I think from what you said, you're you're spending the time on the setup properly so that yeah. you're, not, you're not having that big battle when something goes wrong. Anyway, you've already... You've already um, maybe calmed some of those desires, and you're making choices instead of working to desires. So, so if, for example, you go to Autumn One Hundred, and I don't know, something happens, it doesn't go right, however, it doesn't. It's not that you're going to have to do a lot of work to control your emotions when that happens. It feels like you've done the groundwork already, and I think people maybe need to think about that before they start thinking about, you know, I need to be less angry. I need to, you know, not get upset when something doesn't go right. It's it's the groundwork that you do leading up to that maybe it's a mindset thing as well paul yeah in 2019 i was running the west highland way and i had a plan i'll say it on here a plan um, to run under 15 hours i thought i could do that in fact i knew i could do that i think i, I want to be really clear on that i was in better condition than in 2016 when i ran what was it 15 19 or something right knew i was in good shape knew i could do that but on the day that didn't happen and to compound that I um, I was running, I think, I was in third place. Um, Rowan, who won the race, was miles ahead of me, and Rob, who finished second, had overtaken me, and I was coming into the coming into the car park at the ski centre, 
and I'd had a horrifically tough tough time up to that point for a whole bunch of reasons, right? And and I could talk about why that was some of that when I look back stuff, looking back at that. And I remember coming in and I was just kind of smiling, laughing and joking with my dad. And I think it was Sandra Beatty said to me, oh, says, you, you look, um, you don't look too fussed about where you are and the fact that you've had a tough day and all that stuff. And I was like, look, at this moment in time, I'm doing what I love. We, Louise, Scoosh and my dad were there with the people I love and a place I love. And if I can't take the positives from that, I want to give up. And that's why I would never step off the trail at that point. It's like, well, I'm going to have to tough it out. There's people having much worse days than me and there's people who will have much worse days mm. than me in future. And actually, yeah. all I can do now is go, well, I'm going to enjoy this day, I'll take the learning from it, and I'll, I'll try and finish with as much happiness and positivity as I can. And and that's an example of maybe if, if I had this desire, which the only thing that matters is winning the race and running under 15 hours or doing whatever, I might have negatively approached, um, I might have approached that with a negative mindset and just stepped off the trail at that point, come up with some sort of excuse for why that was and be done with it but there's absolutely no way I would do that because I think there's much more positive stuff to be gained much more positive desires to be fulfilled if you like by completing that and actually the in the moment desires that you have dissipate and the long term desires you know you, you maybe fulfill those long term desires without even knowing it like that connection like that experience and maybe even just showing a good example which I think sometimes can be part of what what we do the sport for is to try and inspire and support others yeah yeah it's a good story james um i'm thinking about i'm still i'm still stuck on this idea of desires and um, them being an obstacle uh, rather than a benefit right so you could argue that at that point your desires weren't in order for some level of recognition external you're you're your desires were your own at that point so it, it doesn't matter if you call them desires or goals at that point they're effectively the same thing because you're being your your inner self you're being your true self maybe yeah but I, I, I think there's a fine line though right between I mean for one use of a great phrase not giving two hoots because mm -hmm. that can make it sound like you, you didn't mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. about going I need to recalibrate here because where I thought I was versus where I am there's now, a, there's now a disconnect and I have a choice between how I react to that and I think that's what you, when you talk about how you react with either maturity or you react with emotion which is maybe something we can get in another, another call yeah. but it doesn't take away the fact that you still want things really badly you still want certain outcomes and you're willing to push hard for it you wouldn't run through some of the pain we and the listeners and you and others run through if you didn't have that level of outcome focused desire but there's also a point where you don't let it define you and maybe that's the thing that maybe that's the difference is, is if you're getting defined by your desire like like things that may be material to own a certain thing to have a certain thing to have a certain amount of wealth then that can probably cause you to make maybe not the best people decisions that you might make you might sacrifice things like time with your family or time with your loved ones in pursuit of wealth and things and I think that's maybe a good example of where desire can be both impulsively bad, compulsively bad, but also is important to have because actually it's really important that I, you know, I'm able to feed myself and to clothe myself, but it's not the, it's not to the detriment of everything else I want to do as a social being in this planet. Yeah. Is, is that example. So I think there is a line, and I think every individual will have a different point at which that line's crossed. So we want it really bad from an athletic point of view, 
but are we willing to compromise our identity? And here's an example, Paul. Maybe, maybe just maybe a lash for your opinion on this, right? If your desire, let's just say your desire is, you know, you've been to Bartley, let's say your desire is to go back to Bartley and to complete the five loops no matter what, yeah? Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure that's something that you you would have a niche for. You would love to do that. Get the fun run, get the five loops, yeah? Yeah. And it would probably driven a lot by how you feel internally, right? Let's just say that's your desire in this example. Would you be willing to cheat to achieve that desire? No, no. Um, I think this is where I'm... I'm still struggling a little bit around this desire or idea of desires, right? That we've talked about already. But um, in in that, I don't think I don't think we really understand where they're coming from, and I think that's the problem. And that's some of the stuff we have talked about before about self awareness and stuff. I think because I I don't think they just appear from nowhere, right? I think they're grown, they're sculpted from the conditioning we go through when we're children and right through to now and the media that we consume and where we place our attention, right? And most of the time we can't see it at all. And there's always this long learned control mechanism that makes us believe that we must think a certain way, we must look a certain way, we must speak and act a certain way in order to be loved and accepted, right? Even your example of a million pounds, right? I know you were just flippantly saying that off off the top and I know it's not your desire to be a millionaire, probably. But ultimately, probably somebody wants to be a millionaire because it will make them feel like they're loved and accepted by the people that matter in their life. So the desire itself isn't about the money. The desire is I want love and acceptance. And I think we probably all need to do a little bit of work around that sometimes. So, for example, like we've all had these things that felt like burning desires, right? Like I want to win the West Highland Way race. I want to finish that 100 miler. And if I do that, then people around me will accept me that I'm a good person and I'm a committed athlete and I work hard for things and um, or my family will see that I'm a good strong I'm a committed type of person and somebody that they should be proud to know um, and ultimately I think we're we're kind of taught what success means and what it means to be successful and we're kind of searching for something that nothing or no one in the world can actually give us and unless we take the time to understand what's a choice and what's a desire and what is the real fundamental drive of that desire, then we're we're quite often going to be, end up in positions that, that we might be selfish, James, and we might do things that aren't for the good of the people that we really care about. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 like There was a really good quote I came across a, a few days ago and I, I wrote it down because I was thinking about this idea and desires and stuff like that and... Um, I can't remember where it came from. Oh, it was a book called You Are Not You Are Enough. Sorry, you're not enough. You are enough. Um, and it said, uh, after all, how can you hold a planet full of people who don't love or accept themselves responsible for loving and accepting you? And it's kind of taking that idea of doing the work and understanding what's going on underneath these desires. If you're ever going to feel a a, a really strong level of contentment, if you like. I don't know. I mean, it's it's quite deep, right? It's almost like the desires to understand desire, and it's like some yeah. sort of circular yeah. reference that you, you'll never ever, yeah. you'll never ever get to. And it's, I mean, quite, quite, I guess, seated in things like Eastern philosophy and stuff. When you start to get to that point, but when we lift it up to the Western society, where we kind of tend to spend most of our time and thinking within, it's really interesting how social constructs 
can affect your desires. You, I mean, you referenced a couple like, I want to wear that thing because it looks good on that person or I want mm-hmm. this car or I want this, you know, mm-hmm. becomes material. Mm-hmm. Yep. It can also become, um, it can become quite subjective as well. Like I want to achieve this thing so I can post about it on this platform. And if they, if they motivate you to do good without doing harm to others, then we have to, I guess, look at desires as a really, really powerful positive. So back to that point, would you cheat badly? And obviously you're going to say no, and I totally and utterly mm-hmm. would expect that, and I know you would, and I know you've got a really strong moral value set, but it does show that there is a line between what you may desire and what you may be prepared to sacrifice to get to that desire. Mm-hmm. The, the example I use, when you use the millionaire one, the example I use a lot when people in work are struggling to decide what they want to do with their career, I always say to them, three things matter what you do, who you work for, and how much you're paid. And if anyone then says, right, in the order that they're important, I'm like, how much I'm paid, I'll then say to them, cool, I've got someone who'll pay you a million pounds if you'll go and kill your sister or your brother or something and make it quite emotive like that. But the point of making it like that is, is actually it only matters in certain conditions. And desires are probably the same, Paul, in that you might think you desire something, but it's only within some sort of undefined set of conditions, which is, I think, back to your point about where does this, where's the root of this desire Mm-hmm. It probably matters in certain conditions, and probably for many of us, certainly in the world we live in with, within today, most of our desires are nearsighted. They are they're fixed yeah. in a, a space within our cognitive reach. I I can imagine that in a year's time, probably none of us are thinking about two, three, five. You know, this kind of crap year was. Would you want to be yeah. in five yeah. years' time? And and in the last year and a half, that cognitive reach has probably been narrowed and how far ahead we can imagine see and desire to probably is no further than you know a short time span and certainly shorter than it would have been two years ago yeah yeah like it, it, it's a it's a great discussion for me james because I, I battle with this stuff sometimes and on the one side you'll have this idea that we should just accept that if we let go of desires and we let go of all these things that the universe is automatically then going to put us in the right place, right? So, I, I can I can understand that concept, and I can par- partially agree with with a fair chunk of that, I think. But then, where do goals fit? I mean, surely it must be okay and right to have goals, and it, it maybe as maybe we're supposed to have goals, we're supposed to write down goals, but we're supposed to stop desiring them, if you know what I mean. And maybe maybe the good things in our lives have happened not because of our strong desires but actually despite of our desires so even your example there about you know thinking longer term and and maybe we just think a year ahead kind of thing when you were i don't know when you were 18 james your desires were all probably quite immediate and the, the really really great things that happened in your life didn't happen because of your desires they happened almost despite of your desires yeah, like, I mean, like your family and your wife and all the amazing things you have in your life didn't happen because of your desires. I don't think. I, I, you you could definitely not draw a straight line from where I am today to any of those things that I was thinking or imagining about back then. Hmm. But unbeknownst to me, many of the building blocks that maybe resulted in those outcomes, same for you. You know, when you look at it from a professional or personal point of view, those building blocks have happened in spite of, as you say and without any control you have. So I totally get your point. So do you become super supine and passive and just let the world happen around you 
and trust that you'll be guided to the point that's right for you and the, yeah. the universe will yeah. look after you or I guess on the other side of it do we do we pretend we're in some sort of control charade where our thinking our activity our goal setting our desires and what we do is in some way influencing influencing and shaping the world in which we we mm -hmm. find ourselves mm -hmm. I really don't know what the answer to that is yet and I, and I I feel no, like there was, there was a good summary, James. I think I think I think we could both fall right in the middle ground eventually in that one. Whereas I was maybe coming from one side and you're coming from slightly the other. So I yeah. don't know. I think it's been really useful. Even even if I think about uh, more recently, right? So not thinking when I was eighteen and and these now at the ripe old age of in my forties that that um these are the five or six amazing things that happened and they happened despite. Uh, 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 my desires or whatever but even more recently like even when I think about even the end to end trail right I probably had early on when I when I first wrote the project up James I had this desire to run it in a certain period and I think it's because of a level of maturity quite early on I realised that wasn't going to give me what I wanted and what I needed and actually if I'd have continued down that route it would have blocked everything else out of that experience that made it what it was and and i'm kind of learning on the spot with some of it it's not like i i, I set out thinking you know i'm going to have this great experience we're going to spend time with like really amazing people and um some of the things that happened that are things that i'll remember forever i couldn't i didn't have the capacity to think that these were an opportunity and until i was able to let go of that desire I'm stopping those things happening ultimately. So, so maybe there is some sense in all of this: desires, goals, choices. I don't know. I know it's it's really interesting when you when you frame it like that. Though is, I get a statement I'm probably coming out with in the back of what you're saying is is does do we get cognitive comfort through the charade of control, and is that enough for us? Mm -hmm. Shall we take that into the next? Next conversation, James, maybe? Yeah, I feel like I want to set that statement to a beat or something like that. <laughs> no. can, you, can, can you please write it down so that we can think about this for the next one? Uh, yeah. What we're going to do is we're, we're going to record a few episodes in a row as James and I's plan because we've been, uh, they've been a bit hit and, hit and miss in terms of uh, getting them done. So we're going to try and do another one uh, which will come out the week after potentially so maybe that's a good subject for us to cover James and we'll wrap it up there I know you've got kids swimming to attend in five minutes splash splash that's where we go <laughs> yeah, um, uh -huh. yeah and that, that is really good and I look forward to following up on that conversation I feel I need to do a wee bit more ruminating and reading on that or will I just let the universe guide me through the conversation who knows nice way to finish James I'm Paul Giblin I'm James Stewart and you've been listening to the Pylon Ultra Pod Before we finish up and you wonder about what in hell we've been talking about, I'd just like to explain my thinking a little. I have this belief that in each and every one of us there's more to be uncovered than we have the ability to understand or the courage to tackle. I say none of this from any kind of enlightened position. Instead, I'm trying to use these conversations and all the coaching work I do to at least be asking more pressing questions of myself the choices that I make, the belief systems that I run, and my own personal impact on this world. Yes, I tie myself in knots sometimes, and likely you too, 
but thanks for listening and sharing any feedback as you do whenever we publish these episodes. I think at least I've accepted that I'm living in a world where most of us experience only a very limited part of who we truly are and I think that's always going to be disconcerting and uncomfortable. But I also think most of us know that something is missing. We all know deep inside that there is more and we all have more to give. I'll leave you with some words from the incredible Kate Tempest. But it's hard to accept that we're all one and the same flesh, given the rampant divisions between oppressor and oppressed. But we are, though, more empathy, less greed, more respect. All I've got to say has already been said. I mean, you heard it from yourself. When you were lying in your bed and couldn't sleep, thinking, couldn't we be doing this differently? Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again sometime soon. Cheers.